Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Adam Padley. I'm Steve Hildry. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. Well, I'm excited. It's a long overdue interview with the reigning UK master, and you're right, it is not Nick Williams, the goblin master, the northern king himself, lord of the shooting span, Mr. Adam Padley. Adam, welcome to the show. How do? How do? Now, I know uh, Steve and I uh, are excited to have you on. First off, usually when we get someone who is new to the show, they give us like a little sort of background. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from, how did you first sort of get into tabletop wargaming? Just give us a little bit of your origin story. Yeah, so I got into wargaming like most people did, I think, through GW. Well, Lord of Rings, actually, originally. I started playing. Played that for a little bit, moved to 40k. Didn't, didn't, it were alright for a bit of a fun game, but it never really got that competitive itch for me. And then I were introduced to fantasy, Back in sixth edition, so however long ago that was, the day. Am I right in thinking, Adam? You were at school with um, with both Tom Robinson and Elliot. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, same year. We're all same age. Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> I got introduced to fantasy after playing 40k. Preferred preferred fantasy. Played fantasy for years up until the collapse, and then I got introduced to Kings of War sometime later. And. That's me, really. I used to, I used to do a, I used to play. I used to be big on fantasy tournament scene. Uh, played all over the place, but yeah, <laughs> that's me. Cool. And then before you, you guys kind of made that transition into Kings of War. Are, are you, were you playing any other games, uh, like any other board games, tabletop games, or were you always sort of like solely a, a miniature wargaming guy? Yeah, miniature wargaming and and computer gaming, but a bit different. So yeah, never really did board games, never really did card, didn't do all like that. Um, I don't really know what it was that got me into it, to be honest. I just fancied it one day. Did you ever play like uh, War Machine, War Hordes, that kind of thing? Yeah, well, when Fantasy died, I I tried Kings of War straight away after Fantasy died, and I actually didn't like the game whatsoever. And so I played... Uh, Warmer Hordes for two years before I started playing Kings of War. So I've only been playing Kings for 18, 20 months. I haven't been playing it for a long, long time, really. So I played War Machine for quite a bit. When you first got into Kings of War, and like you said, you weren't like a, a big fan of it, what was it that you didn't like at first? And then as you've gotten into it, how did that sort of... Did it change, or did you kind of gain a new perspective after you had played it a little bit longer? Or talk a little bit about kind of what kept you from it in the beginning, and then how that changed. Yeah, so I, when I first read it, so I first read the rule sets just out of Mark II, um, just when version 2 was launched, and there was just some obvious flaws to it, I'd say. Um, like Def 6 Dragons, and multiple regen, and individuals scoring objectives on points all that sort of stuff was just abusable it just didn't click 
I didn't like it because of that. And then when I started playing at the end of Cock 17, well, I've been Cock 17, yeah, at the end of Cock 17, um, I started playing then, and the Clash of Kings balances made the game a lot more appealing to me. A lot more appealing. So were the other guys in your gaming club, were they still playing Kings of War that allowed you to kind of dip in and out? Was that how it worked? No. Um, I li- literally, it were Clash of Kings 2017. Uh, Nick, Tom and Elliot needed an extra player for, uh, for, the, for, the, for the team's event at Clash of Kings. So I borrowed an army and I was literally going just to drink. Just to just to drink heavily over a weekend and just <laughs> be part of a team, and then ended up coming fifth at first class Kings. Do you think your um, War Machines kind of experience helps? It's quite an exact game, isn't it, War Hordes? Yeah, it's well. That's where all them measuring sticks that I use come from. <laughs> all measuring sticks and arcs and all little widgets, all gaming aid widgets. Uh, they're they're a godsend really for playing games accurately. Because my biggest bugbear is, is I know people don't do it intentionally or hoax. It's I never accuse anyone doing it, but it's like sloppy movements and stuff like that. I always try and be as exact as I can. So yeah, I played War Machine for quite a bit, and yeah, it did help with the Kings of War because it's you can guess ranges quite easily. I can understand how that works. Cog Seventeen was your first was your first tournament. What's been your experience with Kings of War since then? Yeah, I've loved it. I want to say I went to that event. Um, I went to that event as a drinking event and ended up loving the event, right enjoying it, and I ain't really stopped since, to be honest with you. I've still got one machine, but I haven't really played it, to be honest with you, because of Kings. So did you have a bunch of, I assume, a bunch of Warhammer armies that you could then just port straight over? No, I sold it. I sold all my Warhammer armies when uh, Fantasy died. All right, so were you playing with your, with your War Machine minis to start with? No, I borrowed I borrowed bits from people. All oh, right. I was I was actually I was actually using Elliot's army. Right. Uh, Elliot's Varengur army, and then after Clash of Kings, I just bought an army. I bought uh, I bought my own Varengur army after that. So, what what do you like most about about the rule set? What is it that appeals appeals to you about it? It's clean and crisp more than anything else. It's easy to understand. It's it's an easy rule set that's easy to pick up but hard to master and I I like that aspect of it so you can I was I was taught the game in one night basically I literally, we literally had one game my first ever game against with Kings of War were against Tom Robb oof uh, I smashed him <laughs> of course you uh, did <laughs> 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 um, how many times have you beaten Tom he loves it when we talk about this right how, how often have you beaten Tom Robinson is it every game or most games. no no um it used to beat me quite a lot when i was only using Baringa. Mm. and then when i moved moved to goblins a but i beat him quite a bit yeah so what armies do you play now is it it's, it's been it was goblins for quite a long while right so yeah i i started i played Baringa for longer yeah uh, so obviously i've probably as I say, i've probably been in the game for probably more like 20 months actually mm. But for over a year, 14 months of it were Varunga. Wow. Qualified for Masters with Varunga and then decided to pick Goblins up because I, I wanted to support Mantic. So I bought a full pure Goblin army, 
Mantic, not a single um, third party miniature in there. Um, so I wanted to support them on a hats off to you level. Yeah. And the the goblin list just fit my playstyle to the team. What's been your favourite part of the hobby? Would you say was it has it been it's been the gameplay part, right? Because you're would you say you're a competitive gamer rather than a hobby gamer? Is that where you put yourself into that basket? Well, yeah, the. I'm definitely a competitive gamer. There's no, I'd be lying if I said I want, but it's not the main reason. I, it's not the main thing I enjoy about the hobby. I actually more enjoy uh, multi basing, uh, building bases up. You know, making an army look cool. Yeah. For me, I'm not the best painter in the world. I'm never going to claim I am, but my army look good from the other side of the table, and that's all I'm bothered about, really. Yeah. Because it's interesting, we talk about this quite a bit on Countercharge, the difference between the UK and the US scene, the fact that you know hobby scores, they're not a part of an overall score. And, and I've seen you have a couple of discussions about that. There are painting awards, you know, but it's yep. not part, but there's no kind of incentive beyond the painting award for armies to look beautiful. So people tend to, you know, it makes it a little bit easier, I think, for new players to get into the scene, but there's not the extra effort being put in to make them beautiful unless you want to be going for hobby awards. I disagree with that, to be honest with you. you? Um, yeah, massively. Um, so level of pain in UK has gone up since I've been playing massively over the last 20 months. I've seen level of pain increase. Mm. Um, just at every tournament I've been to throughout country, paint levels got better. I've put effort in to improve my painting. Not the goblins, because they were speed painted, ignore them, but my <laughs> Varangur. Uh, Varangur were... I've I've spent a lot of time on them and put I've been, I've been touching them up recently to put a bit a little bit extra effort into them to make them look better. But that's not for that's not to score extra points at a tournament. That's for for me. Yeah. For for my personal gain. And the fact that there's this kind of this it's not pressure, but it's kind of like a friendly pressure from other people who are bringing beautiful armies kind of makes you want to yeah, yeah. increase your hobby level. Yeah, definitely. Um uh, anyone who reads fanatics and sees me comment on a painting post i'm not a a soft score fan i'm not yeah <laughs> or, or the only the only soft scores i believe there should be is is the army painted yeah you get so many points is it based yeah you get so many points and does it look like a coherent army yeah you get so many points and as long as you're not as long as you're a good sport you should get maximum points. Well, that's kind of similar. I think, you know, there are tournaments in the US who have hobbyist bunk, Jeremy can correct me, as part of their kind of uh, overall score according to a rubric, right? And that rubric can, it's usually, there is judging. You can have a judge competition, but you can have a rubric-based competition whereby, you know, and these rubrics, they can be really complex and there's a whole lot yep. of points on, but and they're, you know, basic rubrics, like you say, are they based? Is there a theme? Is it three colors? So on and so forth. Is, is that right, Jeremy? Yeah, I would say there's kind of like you have your two main uh, how paint judging is done. Like you said, two main sort of uh, styles of doing it is that you have the checklist style and the checklist style is either administered by the paint judge or you as a you'll self check yourself. Like you'll be like, is your model, is your army painted with the three colors? OK, check. And then you check all your boxes and then uh, the paint judge might look at your score and see, okay, and just kind of verify that that's correct. And then the paint judge may have like bonus points, a small amount of bonus points that they can award on top of the checklist. 
Um, and usually that checklist is for, for tournaments using it, it's uh, put out ahead of time. So going to the event, you have an idea of like what you're going to be judged on. And then on top of that, maybe the uh, a, per, a portion of the paint score, like only a certain amount will be uh, you know calculated into your overall score. So maybe, you know, you can get 40 points, paint points from the rubric, but only once you get up to 20, is it counted that 20 is, your, is in your overall score? And then the points are read for those players from 20 to 40. That's used to just determine the, the paint award. Yeah, that's you know, my favorite sort of scoring for hobby. Sort of the other style, and this would be the more kind of like Ryan Smith, uh, Alamo, and then he judged U.S. Masters last year, which is he will actually go, and he's a very, very good painter, and he will spend 30 to 40 minutes with every every person's army at the event, scoring them in comparison to each other. So at like Masters, I think he spent 20-something hours over three days scoring the armies, those type of tournaments, usually your your paint score is a little bit bigger part of your overall score. So some some of those more kind of three 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 tournament mean you thirty three percent of your score is from battle, thirty three percent is from sports, and thirty three percent is from paint. So that's much more you know uh, uh, equal weighted uh, tournament to like sort of the three legs of the hobby. So I think there's a lot. There, those are sort of the two main ways we do it in the U.S. Yes, I'm a I'm a massive fan of the a rubric paint score. Let's have let's have hundred points for paint. The there should be a a maximum that's counted towards your gaming score, which should be easily achievable for anybody. And then anything above that goes for your your best your best paint, your your best single miniature, your best whatever. That's my view on it. Right, and speaking as a tournament organizer, that's something you can uh, potentially implement, right? Yeah, definitely. So before we get on to last year's Masters, um, how's your tournament play been this year? Where have you been and, and how have you done? Yeah, um, I've, I've done all right. I've only played four events this year. I did Four Foot Snake in February. I did a single one-day event that we ran at Northern Kings. I'm going to say we. I mean Northern Kings when I say we. Uh, a single-day event that Northern Kings ran, uh, which I were ringer for. Um, that were in, I can't remember when it was, to be honest with you. Uh, then we did the Northern Kings GT, which was June. And then my last event was Southwest Clash, which was the other last month. And I've I finished third in, third, oh no, second at Four Foot Snake. Um, I finished mid-table as Ringer. I think I got fifth out of 20 players. Um, at our weekend event, I finished first. And then at uh, Bristol, I finished fifth out of 28 players, I think it was. So, yeah, I've had an all right, all right run. It's been a strong year. And Fourth and Eight was a hobby tournament as well. That's the only hobby tournament in the UK, right? It won a hobby tournament. It's a hobby. It's got hobby scores involved in the overall. Am I wrong, am I wrong about that? Oh, yeah. But it won a hobby tournament. It was still a competitive event. Right, right, right. So when I say a hobby tournament, I mean it's a competitive tournament, but with a more hobby focus, right? Yeah. Um, so I got I got best general at that uh, that event, mm. uh, and then finished second overall. It's pretty impressive. So what's left on your docket? I mean, obviously, we, there is. We should mention there is a there is a mini Padley on the way. Congratulations! Yep. In fact, uh, yeah, thank you. Is it? Do we know? Is it a boy or a girl? Are we are we a girl. surprise? It's a girl. 
little little girl Padley. Little baby Padley is arriving in the next couple of weeks, right? Any time now. Sept- Sept- September the twentieth is the due date. Oh, exciting times ahead. So I think that might. I'm I'm just guessing. Speaking as a father of three, that might restrict your game time somewhat over the neck over the coming year. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I've got nothing planned for the rest of the year. Um, and I'm not interested in doing that for the rest of the year, if I'm going to be brutally honest. Um, I've got, well, we've I've got a, a one-day event. Well, I suppose we can mention this at the end, but um, we're running, Northern Kings are running a little version three demo event in in December, in of, end of November. But that's all I've got planned, because that's, that's only in Leeds. It's only around the corner from me. Yeah, is that your? Um, that's the. It's like a play day rather than a event. Is that the actual? Yeah, event? it's it's not even a tournament. It's just a excuse to get people together to play games. To be honest with you, sounds cool. Another thing I know people kind of know you for, Adam, is you ran a Universal Battle Worldwide tournament. So can you speak just really briefly on what that was? And I know I think you have another one in the works. So can you talk a little bit about your your Universal Battle tournament? Yeah, so I've actually run two, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, so I will be running uh, another Universal Battle tournament uh, for the launcher, uh, third edition as well. Um, so what I did is I, I ran a call to arms and a call to arms two, uh, just as a way to get games in, to be honest with you. Um because I travel a lot with work, so I don't usually get time to go to a club to play a game. So it's more convenient for me to have a game on on newbie on a night because I can start playing at eight nine o'clock at night without having to worry about going to a club pack my models up all that sort of stuff so I'm going to be running an event come start a third edition last last event I got 46 players from around the world playing which was great I wasn't expecting that amount so it'd be nice to get more next time so what it is it's it's an event that's run over the course of 10 to 12 weeks and all it is is you play a game every two weeks. You can change lists and points between rounds. It's just a fixed scenario per round. And it is literally just a way of getting organised playing, guaranteed games against some good players from around the world and just casual gaming. Nothing yeah, too what- serious. It's just a nice, nice, nice way to do it, <laughs> I suppose. And what I really liked about it is what you mentioned. Unfortunately, I wasn't. I had the craziness. One hard part for me was being on the West Coast, that and working late. But I didn't get home till six or seven Pacific yeah. Coast time, so it just became really tough with a, a you know a lot of the European or East Coast guys that get games in. But what I liked conceptually about it is that since each round you can just get together with your opponent and decide on a points level. You can play if you have an event you're coming up for. You can practice. Or with Universal Battle, it's like I want to run this crazy list that I've never thought about that would take me a year to paint. You can just do it, right? So it's a lot of uh, kind of an open field to try really fun stuff but still have that that adrenaline rush from being in an uh, event. Definitely. I, say, I will point out Universal Battle is not perfect. Whenever I do these events, I always tell people, look, just take it casual. It's not. Don't be too serious with it. It's just a way to have a game and try a list and try a bit of fun more than anything else. I can't remember. Did we play in that tournament, Adam? I can't remember. We did play. We, we did play. I remember. 
What what was the result of that? I can't I can't remember. What was oh the, no, yeah, I, I think I think you're misunderstood, mate. Because I actually <laughs> I actually played you in a, in a in a practice game rather than a tournament. Was it was it a practice game? <laughs> the practice game. What practice was... game where you tabled me. Yay! <clears throat> this interesting. <laughs> this is my one claim to fame. This is it. Yeah, it's the one and only time I've ever used pure goblin combat. Didn't go great, did it? It wasn't. It wasn't. It no. wasn't playing to your strengths. No. no. <laughs> well, now Steve, you got to use that. Hey, this is Steve Hildrew who beat Adam Padley on UB, and it was not a practice game. It, it, it matters. It matters <laughs> to me. I'm not even joking. I've I've had a T-shirt printed. Yeah. He, the thing, the problem is, he won't play me again. Because at the moment he's got a hundred percent win rate, and it's going to go down to fifty next time we play. You see, so uh-huh. next time you'll be so tired you won't be able to see the board. So it's cool. It's fine. Yeah. All of a sudden, the next time your baby's up all night, Steve just shows up at your house at eight o'clock in the morning. It's like, okay, I'm ready to give you the rematch. <laughs> oh, and by the way, you're playing dwarves. Move on. <laughs> Let's move on and talk about uh, last year's UK Masters. Going into last Masters, I know that your clubmate Tom Robinson was really well known in in the the scene. He had had a lot of great success. So, kind of going into the Masters rank wise, where were you in the rankings? Were you what were your expectations going into Masters? Did you think you'd do well, or sort of like what was set the stage a little bit for what your thinking was like right as you guys were going into Masters? Yeah, so I were I were ranked third last year. Uh, third in UK, uh, which were, which I were really happy with to say it was my first full year of Kings of War gaming. Um, so obviously Tom was the person to beat, and it was pretty obvious what Tom was going to bring. He was going to bring the elf list that he were dominating with, that he, he won Clash of Kings with. He, he, I don't think he'd lost a game up until end of Clash of Kings. I might be wrong with that, but I'm sure he, he were either... 10 wins to one loss or something like that. It was ridiculously high win rate. Um, so I knew for a fact that everyone was going to uh, tech their lists to beat Tom, or at least to get a better chance against Tom. So I literally just played the meta, to be honest with you, and brought a goblin gun line because everything that's good against the elf gun line is not good against the goblin gun line. So talk about that a little bit, because um, obviously I'm I'm not as experienced as Jeremy in the game whatsoever. Jeremy's you know one of the top flight players in the US. Talk about that a little bit. So what is it about um, the Goblin gun line that differs it from the Elf gun line, for example? So the thing with the the Elf gun line, the Elf gun line, it's not necessarily a gun line to be honest with you, because there's only two two shooting hordes, and then bits of other magic. Or there were three shooting hordes, bit of magic, Draken horde. Um, Elf Lord on Dragon and it was more a, a really good mixed arms list because it did everything but it could point and shoot and take someone off because it's Elf it's elite shooting it's range 4 elite shooting so it's accurate but the problem with that compared to the Goblin list is if the Elf list lose, loses one of its hordes of shooters it's a big loss to the list but if the Goblin, goblin Army loses one horde of shooters it's, it's nothing it's just 20 shots 
Yeah, that combined arms elf list that Tom played, which is like deceptively categorized as like a shooting elf list. But the real power of that list, I think, in a combined arms elf list is if you go close, you get charged with dracons and dragons in your flank. If you don't go close, they shoot you off because, like Adam was saying, they don't have the weight of dice that other gun lines may have. But essentially hitting on fours with elite is like adding more shots in. So even though I'm only shooting you with you with X amount of shots, the fact that I'm re-rolling all these ones, it's like effectively more shots coming at you. Um, but like you said, like when those when those elf lists, if they do get unlucky and do lose a unit or two, all of a sudden they don't have the the unit strength or the um, the bodies to play scenarios at that point. Was that sort of kind of what you're th- what you're talking about? That, that were it, yeah. I believe the list only had 10, 11 drops. It wasn't a lot of actual units in the elf list and quite a lot of them drops were he had like two or three characters he had uh, a fire breath so it was stuff that were like late game pieces so you could ignore them for the most part so you just focused on the the five main things and obviously with the with the goblin list having um 22 drops <laughs> and 22 unit strength as well it was able to compete on every area so do you your list that you took the masters you you know you don't have to give a twist exactly but do you kind of remember basically what was in your list yeah um so thing to point out as well is the decide so 2000 points is oh has always been the norm in uk so what they decided to do uh, because i actually took the goblin list to clash of kings as well last year finished third i think it was something like that so what they did is they actually changed it down to 1995 so you can't have three trombones you can't have three wizards you can't have three rock lobbers but the problem is is and that that affected quite a few lists on the over the weekend but the problem with it is is that doesn't affect goblin in the slightest so i still had my three rock lobbers because they've got a name character one i only had two trombones but I still had three wizards with Alchemist Curse because I allied in um, Rodia. So I could have a, a human wizard with Alchemist Curse as well. So my list was three hordes of Goblin Spitters, five regiments of Goblin Spitters, um, two Rock Lobbers, the Living Legend Rock Lobber, two uh, Trombones, two Flaggets mounted, one with grenades, one with Diadem of Dragonkind, um, two elf, not elf, uh, two goblin wizards with alchemist curse mounted, and then a ally contingent of Rodia, which were um, halfling archers, and then a, a mounted wizard with alchemist curse. That was the list. Nah, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hold you personally responsible for the irregularization of those. No. Uh, <laughs> all of those hordes. No, it's, it's, it's true. Um, I actually got the book, well, according to what Dan King told me anyway, I got the book pulled off press to get a regular put onto Spurs. Something to be proud of. Yeah, I am. I'm well proud of it. <laughs> well, I know it's been a while since you actually played uh, played at Masters. Maybe if you can, just give us sort of like, uh, if you remember who you played in your games, maybe give us just kind of like a quick, you know, what was sort of the key moment in this game? Did uh, dice go your way, not go your way? Or could you take us a little bit just through your sort of your quest through the tournament? Yeah, I've, 
I'm strange with stuff like this because I'm actually really good at remembering games, even though it worked awesome. start of the year. <laughs> so, um, round one, I paid Rob Phillips with his Abyssal Dwarfs, but he had a full, he had the full Death Six wall. Do you know all the Abyssal Golems? And obviously, I had eighteen Alchemist Curse, three Rock Lobbers, and two hundred odd bow shots. And he was only moving at me six inches a turn, so it literally turned into six rounds of rolling dice and I took him off I know there was a lot more to, to it than that but that's essentially what happened oh my list also had um, three troops uh, flea bag sniffs in as well uh, just for objective grabbing so it wasn't full full um, it, it wasn't as shooty as it could have been um, so I think it was invade we played round one so I was able to get units across the half uh, and score I scored 21 on the blackjack scoring system round round one, which put me massively in lead because I think everyone else scored about 17 at most. Uh, so that was game one, basically. Game two, I played Dan King, and he was playing Undead, I believe. I actually lost against Dan King. Dan King bet, bet me because uh, he bet the list by how you beat the Goblin Gun line is you actually ignore me and just play the scenario and did you say was was that did dan king play um empire of dust at masters oh no sorry um he played i'm sure it was just uh undead he's just just regular because i know he's done a little bit of empire dust and a little bit of you know regular undead i just didn't remember what it was that he had played yeah i I remember he had two dragons and two lycanis and then other bits in the list but basically all he did it were, I can't remember the scenario, but there were three tokens. And he just beelined for two tokens, got them and ran away. And just didn't even try to kill you because knowing that it's just there's no way I'm going to yeah. get through all your units. See, that's really interesting, Steve. When you see these like top-tier players, when they see a matchup that they just can't win, they just go 100%, how do I play the scenario? Yeah, it's it's best way to do it. It's, it's how you beat gun lines. It's because a lot of people get get caught up on, oh, I've got to get to them. But, yeah, you've got to get to them in a way. But if you can beat the list without without fighting it, you do that. And I think that's what that's what differentiates a good player from one of these, from a top-tier player, isn't it, is that you've always got the objective of the scenario in mind. So you're planning three, four turns ahead, this is where I'll be and this is what I'm going to have. You're not thinking, oh, I've got this turn, which is what I'm doing all the time, right? So uh, that's right in front of me and I need to be moving around. What you're thinking is, that's fine, that side, I'm going to be doing this because it's going to be taking me forward later on in the game, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so that went like that. But the problem is we were playing Blackjack and I was heavily up on kill for obvious reasons. Because uh, what he were doing is he were actually feeding me units of his army to stop me getting to the objective, the units with the objective. So he, he pretty much used his entire army as chaff, <laughs> which was the right way of doing it, to, to win the game. But I ended up, obviously I ended up losing, but I ended up scoring quite a few points with, with the way Blackjack works. I can't remember what it was. But I remember even though I lost game two, I was still third after round two. Yeah, that can happen in blackjack, right? You get like a thirteen eight or you know some something along those lines. So it's a lot. Yeah, it really. Were, you, it was somewhat like that. Yeah, it was somewhat like that. Which I think reflects actually. You know, that's one of the benefits of blackjack, isn't it? Is that okay? Dan won the scenario, 
but actually overall if this was a game you know he may have got away with something but his army was dead and so the, the score kind of reflects actually what happened in the game which is quite nice I think when it comes to scoring, you know, there's no perfect scoring system, but I think there's ones that are are better in certain situations. So I know that, like, uh, Blackjack is pretty good, and I know you guys, the Northern Kings, you've kind of developed your own scoring system too. Yeah, um, we, yeah we, we've just got a better version of Blackjack, basically. Yeah, and that's what I've heard. Um, just briefly before we go into your third game, I know a lot of people have sort of heard uh, kind of, you know, a uh, little bit roundabouts of sort of like what the Northern Kings scoring system is, but can you just take us briefly real quick, like what your guys scoring system is, how it differs from blackjack? Yeah. Um, so the big thing is, is that it's, it's positive scoring only. So whereas in blackjack it's, it's kill difference. So, and, and standard 20 nil systems as well, actually it's kill difference. So it's, I killed a thousand points. You killed eight hundred points. It's only two hundred points you're getting credit for. Whereas in the Northern Kings pack, you, you get scored. So a win's fifteen points, a draw's ten points, and a loss is five points. And then you can get up to five additional tournament points for scenario. And it's we, we do it different based on different scenarios. So the like loot token ones or objective tokens, uh, you, you'll usually get one one extra tournament point per unit on a token. Or something like dominate, we actually do it on unit rather than unit strength. Otherwise, hordes would score three and it'd be a mess. So it works out quite nicely. You can get up to another five points from from kill. It's feedback we've had off it, and it's been we've actually had multiple events run round the world from it as well. Um, so I'm, I'm aware of three events that use the Northern King scoring in America. Um, obviously, we we run it at all our events. Um, a, I believe an Australian event's used it as well, and obviously I've used it for the Universal Battle uh, World Championship as well. Yeah, I like it in that it's. Um, I like the idea of playing a game and not coming away with zero points. <laughs> like the game against Dan King, or any game really, where you start losing. What you should actually do in a standard 20 nil system is if you know you can't win the scenario, if you know there's no physical way for you to win the scenario, thinking competitively, you should do nothing. You should not commit units that might not kill something because you're going to give points away. But with the Northern King scoring, you you can now send units off to go kill stuff because you can get an extra couple of scenario uh, kill points, tournament points. Or it's the fact of... I've played a few scenarios before where there's five tokens. Your opponent might have three of them. If you go for the other two... That's two tournament points for you. So you're turning a loss into a comfortable amount of points. That's the issue with with win-loss-draw attrition only. You know, like, uh, I don't think blackjack is perfect, but it's better, in my opinion, than win-loss-draw with attrition because that can exactly happen. It's like you you lose the scenario by one point and you end up getting 18-2'd. 
you know, which is not yeah. fun feeling either. Doesn't it, I don't think it represents to you like w- on paper what the actual uh, events of the game were per se. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've had I've had a few games as well. Do you know when people come over at the end of the game and say, "How did it go on?" and you'll go, "Oh, it were eighteen to," and they'll look at board and go, "Really? How?" Because it just doesn't look. It looks a yeah. lot closer than it actually is. So our scoring system represents that quite well from the feedback we've had back from it. And then are you guys open if someone wants to use your uh, a scoring in their system? Can they just reach out to you to get sort of yeah. the details? You guys are open to letting people use it? Yeah, we are. Just just give us credit. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah, no problem there. As I say, there's been multiple events in America use it, and we've had good 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 feedback from it and people enjoy yeah, no, it there's a lot of there's a lot of positive buzz on the side of the ocean of, of people who have used it i really like the sort of positive uh kind of umbrella it's under you know of giving points as opposed to taking away you know it's just yeah. a, a good positive mindset but um, yeah we, we we actually wrote that scoring system in the pub field by pints yeah uh-huh. <laughs> I feel that's where a lot of good decisions are made. Also, a lot of bad decisions. Yeah. So, well, you know. <laughs> okay. So we heard about your uh, your game one, and then your tough or uh, uh, still your your game two lost to Dan, but you still had some points. So, yeah. and like you said, you were still looking pretty good, which is always good when you when you're going into game three or game four and you're not undefeated, but you're still up there. That's pretty. That's as much as you can hope to be. I think if you do take yeah, a loss, it's the- still be in the discussion. Yeah, the big thing is is that there's obviously I don't know if I said, but there's only sixteen people at the UK Masters. I know you you because you guys are a lot bigger than us, just more players over your age. So there's only sixteen people, um, so we were playing five rounds. So because there were only sixteen people, five rounds, and we were using blackjack, and I scored twenty one at first round, I could mathematically lose a game and not care because of how it oh, works yeah. with the maths. 21 getting a 21 in blackjack is not easy to do so if you do get one or two of those early that will put you in a really good position like you said to take a loss or take a draw and you're still looking good battle wise yeah definitely so who was your game three opponent uh matt james and his orcs when we're playing eliminate so it would kill the three your three most expensive units and my most expensive units were 140 points each. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that just gives you the idea of how much stuff I had in my list. Um, so the problem is, is I think Matt misunder or misread how to play the game. So what he actually did is he actually stood still for two turns um, and let me get in. So it was hit. It was hit behind terrain for two turns. Um, and he let me get into position, and obviously in, in eliminate there was a extra token in the middle that he could score to get to to stop everyone just you know hiding behind hills and not doing all. So once he realised that I got that objective, he realised he had to move in. But but I was set up in good positions for good firing arcs and and everything then. So. It, the the terrain the terrain favoured me massively in that game because it was there was a lot of hills, so there was a lot of hills on one side of the board and forests on the other side of the board, and I wouldn't roll off and chose the side with the forests, so I wasn't worried about cover, about shooting shooting anyone because of the how the terrain was laid out, so I managed to shoot is three 
units off that were worth the points. And he killed one of mine um, that was worth the points, but I also got the centre objective, so I scored big on that again. Um, after killing, I think I pretty much killed everything in his army as well. Um, I know I killed his wing, wing slasher turn one because all the rock lobbers hit turn one. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. He, he, yeah. I, know, I, know, I know he wasn't happy about that. <laughs> and that's like the power. I mean, the, the one hope you have against goblin shooting is that it's so bad that you just are going to survive the chip damage long enough to get in there and start killing things. But yeah. when you when you go off on, this, on the, the part of shooting that you do have that has piercing, when you can spike some rolls early with those war machines, man, it's just so good. You just, elim- yeah. you know, what's the one thing that all my chip shooting isn't going to kill? I'll shoot that with my war machines. Oh, they've all hit. My goblins are partying. They're eating their mushrooms. And then, you know, it's you're, you're feeling pretty good at that point, I would think. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, yeah, that's how that one ended. Uh, and that one ended day one. And then day two came back. Um, and I had Ed, Ed Herzig round four with his empire of dust and i can't remember the scenario it was the one where there's seven tokens on the board whatever that one's called pillage Pillage, or, yeah uh, yeah but the way it worked is we, we placed the tokens and i chose the side of the i i managed to choose the side of the board and i chose the side of the board with four tokens on compared to three so obviously a gun line sat on four tokens give me a big advantage. And he had quite a low drop army, from what I remember. It were a couple of chariots, bone giants, and a couple of dragons, I think it was. So I had the the drop advantage and the objective advantage from, from the get-go, basically. And when he did get into combat with me, he was getting into combat with stuff that didn't have enough attacks to kill things in one go. So I was able to hold them in place and and shoot them over the top with wizards and trombones to to take the death five stuff off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when you're playing at like a really uh, a competitive event with a lot of great players. It comes down to I think we talked about it on the show before about you need to play correctly, right? You have to play well, mm. and then. Other things, you need things to either go your way or not go your opponent way. I mean, dice are part of the game. So it's interesting in that it sounds like both your game three and your game four, that getting that role to pick the table side was really advantageous to you. Yeah, it gave me a... It gave me a, an edge, basically. It gave me that extra edge to, to go so- forward. Yeah, and sometimes when you're playing people like of similar skill level, that's what decides games are these yeah. little tiny ed- edges or, or one key dice roll or one small mistake. It's really those – that's what uh, uh, will decide the game when you're playing against like high-caliber players. Yeah, I've always said it. I used to say it a lot in fantasy. Um, you, have, you have to be lucky to win an event as well. Once you start yeah. playing same sort of skill people, you've got to have that that level of luck just in that one or two games to to get the win basically yeah no i mean i think it's really important you you're looking for playing correctly you're looking for is the one list that you don't match up well at the tournament did you dodge that list or did you have to play it you know what i mean there's all these little tiny things Mm. that usually when you're talking to someone who won an event they had those things go their way um 
which is not to say they didn't also play well. You know, you have to play well. That's like a given, right? You got to play correctly. But then there's some intangibles that uh, you need to sort of fall on your side. But um, so going into game five, it sounded like you had you had that blackjack or close to in game one. I think you had said you'd gotten some other good points. Yeah. Did you know going into the last game, were you at like such a strong position? Did you have an idea of what you needed to do to, to win the event going into game five? Yeah, I needed a losing draw or a or a winning loss to actually win the event. So I know I was playing George last round, and I know George had to get a big win against me to actually um, to actually knock me off top spot, which were which were my biggest issue with blackjack scoring, to be honest, because of how far ahead I was going into turn five, uh, round five. Is this George's Night Stalker list, right? Yeah, nice docker list before the wind blast. So it was a, it were a more balanced list. Like well, one a balanced list. It were a really good list to be honest with. You. Uh, from what I remember, double double flyers, double big monster. I don't know what any of them are called to be honest. Big monsters. <laughs> Terrors, right? Uh, the one with fifteen attacks, and then the the death five one. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I remember. A darkly shrouded, screaming terror, yeah. Titanic. Something or yeah. other. Oh, is there something Hulk? Shadow Hulks. Shadow yeah. Hulks, that's it. Terror, Screaming, Shadow, Nether Hulk. <laughs> yeah. And then he had a couple of the uh, the flying troop ones, then a few zombie, uh, not zombies, uh, scarecrow regiments for for objective, objective holding. But the problem is, is he had to, I believe he had to score 18, somewhat silly, 17, oh, 18 geez. points to, to actually stop me winning the event. Against a 21 unit strength army, that's going to be quite... Uh, a challenge yeah and we was playing uh, control as well so realistically despite the fact his army is all stealthy which is which is money against your army he's going to have the great he's, he's not got enough units to kill enough of your army to get that score under blackjack right yeah because the way it worked is that I I think I moved about four or five inches all game just because I didn't have to move because I had three objectives a, a, a draw would have won me the game won me the the, the tournament so I was able to... This game is actually on Northern King's uh, YouTube page, if anyone wants to go watch it, with Nick and Elliot doing some lovely commentary on it. There we go. Get, bit, bit your thi- yeah, your thinking was, <laughs> if I just control my three my three table quarters on my half of the board and draw, I've won. So I'm just going to move yeah. up all my stuff. It, he, there's not enough turns in the game for him to chew enough to actually get into my squares, and Correct. Bob's your uncle will... Uh, Crown, crown me champion, basically. Yeah, and me and George have talked about this game since, because um, he actually he split his army fully, so he covered the full board, but he only had like 12, 13 drops to take on 22. And the way he did it is, is that he, he just didn't commit enough in areas, so he was sending... So both his dragons, or whatever they're called, the, the flying... Night Stalker Dragon thing. He sent them both. He kept sending them in one at a time, so I was able to concentrate fire on one. Void Lurker, I think they're called. Void Lurker, that's it, yeah. So he sent two Void Lurkers up, and I was able to... It was it was piecemealing me's army, so I was able to pick it apart slowly. And then it got to a... It got to a point where it was like, right, I've got enough unit strength here to stop to to keep alive and 
I killed the units I needed to kill for unit strength wise. I actually timed out in this game. Um, I actually timed out on on turn six. Um, well, I, I did. I timed out at the end of turn six, or if there were a turn seven, which there were, I didn't get a turn on turn seven. But I actually chose to time out on turn six because I spent that because I knew with the time I had left, I won't be able to do out in a turn seven anywhere. So I used that extra bit of time just to position units so there were going to be no silly overruns or no no flank charges from, from a surge or from anything like that. It was just to protect, to guarantee the win, basically. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think about how would I play against your army in that with that scenario, knowing what type of win I would need. Yeah. And I mean, the only thing I can think of is like picking a spot and being like, I'm going to punch through this spot turn sideways and as i move up your line i'll leave things behind to hold squares but just hope that i can punch through you somewhere but trying to trying to kind of fight you at in numerous locations besides one it's just like you said that piecemeal i don't think would work but that's a a huge uphill battle not only to beat a that high a drop army in that scenario but knowing that in blackjack i not only need to beat you i need 17 or 18 points i mean that's pretty titanic um, yeah it were to try to get it was something silly like that i might be wrong with that but it was summer it could have been 16 17 but still it was a lot of points he needed to actually pip me off to knock me off the top spot so i think i got a bit lucky last round just because of the scoring system well it's part of the game isn't it you know if you're if you're thinking about a tournament of that level you're not just thinking about playing each game individually you're thinking about the whole tournament and um and going through, so um, you ended up with with the win, and you got crowned UK master. Yep, I got I got a little sword and everything for it. Well, not a little sword. I've got a bit of cavalry saber. <laughs> <laughs> now, didn't Tom get one of those the year before as well? So you can have a full on master's cavalry saber duel now, right? Yeah, you know it's going to end up with someone losing somewhat. <laughs> Their pride, most most importantly. No, I'm on a body body part or something probably. <laughs> so. Um, so you've been crown master, but um, given that Baby Pad has arrived and you've not got many tournaments in your docket, are you are you working on any armies right now? I, I you've sold your goblins, am I wrong? Sold my goblins, yeah, they are gone. With all the sniffs as well that I've been using all year. Ah, uh, so are you working on something else, or are you just sticking with your Varanger? What's happening for third edition for you? So I'm taking a hunch, and I reckon I'm expecting a certain sort of play style to be really strong. So I'm building a list to dominate on that. So I'm building a undead army at the moment. Are you going fully mantic again, or no? You, you've done that now. You've done it once. That's it. They've <coughs> I've got done their that. got their pieces of silver from you. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, they have. So what minis are you going with? The they're called night haunt. Night oh, haunt those are ones. awesome. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. Really yes. beautiful models. So I'm using quite a few of the night haunt models, and I've just ordered some of the uh, mace miniature skeletons. For my skeletons. Miss, make very nice, very detailed miniatures as well. Yes, they do. They're very nice models. So I'm building an undead army. And I am multi-building, or trying to work out how to build a unit that will work for Varanger and undead if I can think about how to do it. But I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I've got a feeling I'm going to need some some like unit strength, some infantry for me. Varinger, because I played all the Fallen and all the Mounted Sons, basically. And so I'm building some Thralls as well. Nice. Some standard Chaos Warriors. 
And to be fair, you're going to have quite a lot of spare time when you need to just be sitting, not doing anything, or keeping making sure that something is still alive. So uh, you know, hob- <laughs> hobby time is going to be is going to be in great supply soon, I should think, right? Is yeah, hope. That's me all. As long as you get an angel baby, not a screamer, you'll be fine. It'll be all good. So, what has you um, most excited by third edition? What are you looking forward to? Change things up. Yeah. Yeah, I actually think Kings of War is in a really good place at the moment, to be honest with you, uh, as it is now. But I'm hoping they change it up. I just hope they don't go too far with certain nerfs and certain changes. I'm waiting to see, to be honest with you. Have you pre-ordered? No. So are you, are you going to pre-order? So you're not going to pre-order, you're just going to buy retail when it comes? What's the, what's the plan? I guess you, there's no urgent rush for you to get hold of things. No, I've got no urgent rush because I'm not. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not off to an event until end of November. So, <laughs> fair enough. I, I admire a man that can withhold. Uh, I, I'm, I'm an impulse buyer, and it's cost me uh, too much in my life. But uh, yeah, I pre-ordered. Uh, Jeremy, what, what have you gone for? I haven't actually asked, asked you this yet. Where's the rule book, the diorama, all the tokens? So, like the main, the big pack that doesn't actually come with like any of the new models, but like all mm. the the rule book, all the doodads. Uh, all that stuff, you know, I'm still working on uh, my Basilean army and I don't quite know what my next project is going to be. So a lot of the new models are great, but I just want all the like shiny gaming bits and everything. And then yeah. I thought the diorama was pretty cool. That's what I have, the third edition book. And I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that the game is at a pretty good spot, but I think with anything change our our updates is good and i think the game is at a really good spot to reintroduce it to players who maybe tried it like you did in the early second edition and were like what's this vampire mounted scoring nonsense and you know what's this you, i do damage to your race and they just fly behind me and land and this is stupid whatever you know yeah, yeah. i th- i think that when a new edition comes out just inherently it gets a lot of press and excitement so i'm excited not only for myself but i think it's going to be a great opportunity for us to introduce it to new players and also reintroduce the game to players that maybe in first or early second were kind of on the fence and they can see the the maturation and the growth and really the see where kings of war has really gone over the last couple years which has become just a much more rich and deep game yeah definitely it's it's I hope it's gonna do really well to be honest with you. I I hope it does. For first, obviously Clash of Kings UK sold out this year. Uh, I think it's the first year it's actually ever sold out. Um so that's good. I don't know how much that has to do with the big bundle of free goodies they're giving away like, but that's a different matter. <laughs> it always helps, it always helps. But we see that as well. So, you know, um the US um Clash of Kings was its biggest ever this is going to be the biggest Clash of Kings in the UK. We're seeing a lot of more international tournaments. You know, we've seen tournaments uh, all across the world growing in size. So I think they, I feels it feels like they're on the brink of something really special. So I really hope I, I you know, I agree with you. I hope that uh, it's just really successful and brings that kind of wave of new players, just like Second Edition did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So from your perspective of a player, you know, what's your thought on Mantic Games? You've played a number of different game systems in a number of different companies. You know, what are they doing well and how, what do you think they can improve on? It'd be great if they actually advertised events properly. <laughs> Mantic doubles that happened a few of a month back. I didn't actually know about it until the week before it was on. <laughs> so that's one big thing I, I really wish they'd do better. <laughs> use, use their PR machine a bit better. Yeah, actually, just use any PR. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> but no, I I think they're all right. I like I like the game. I've only played Kings of War from from them. I've got I've got no interest in other games to do. To be honest with you, um, just don't don't interest me. Dead Zone, all that sort of stuff. But I think they do, I think they've done all right with with Kings of War. Be interested to see what they do with. I'd like to see them put a bit more emphasis on Mantic IP. You know, focus a bit more on their own armies rather than the Uncharted Empire stuff. But that's, th- a, that's I, a gray area, I think, to, to mention that. <laughs> and I think we're going to see that. I know a big chunk of the new rule book is going to be fluff, you know, and, you know, some of the novels. Like, I've been working my way through the uh, the Basilean novel that's, that's actually pretty good. So I think that that was a critique that I feel like a lot of people have had and shared, and you're not alone in wanting them to build yeah, up yeah. the richness of their world. But I think it is something that's that's on their radar, and there have been they've been um, uh, working towards that. I think when it comes to Mantic, I think that they are a company that just likes to try things, and then they'll try something, and then they'll kind of learn, okay, well, what can we learn from this situation? And I know uh, moving forward for third edition, they're going to, I think, try to, to get their PR machine a little bit more in line. I know they've already gone on some podcasts. We're excited that they're going to be coming on to Countercharge to talk about various things. I think that it is something that sort of all of us in the community can sort of come together to help that. But I get what you're saying. You know, you want you want the, the, the game system you love to be the one that everyone gets to see how great it is. And sometimes Kings of War does sort of fly un- under the radar, but I think we're moving in the we're moving in the right direction. I mean, like what Steve said, Adepticon here last year, which is our Clash of Kings, the previous year had 28, 29 people, and this year had over 60. So it was almost like a hundred percent increase in players, and a lot of that came from just you know um, getting it organized, getting promotion. So I think we are moving in in the right direction. So I, I'm viewing third kind of like what you guys are talking about is this really great. Uh, sort of a chance to relaunch, rebrand, reinvigorate the community based around the Kings of War universe and their their awesome game. So, yeah, I think it's 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 you know we 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 forget sometimes that Mantic is still quite a small company. You know, it's it's a uh, it's about twenty odd people doing this game, and I think they've had some massive releases that have been colossally successful, haven't they? So, I think it's been a growing experience for them as well, where they've. Uh, you know things like Hellboy and and the Walking Dead franchises have really exploded, and so they've been obviously focusing energy on these these exploding franchises. But what they're starting to do, I think, is recognizing the value of the IP they've already got and working on that. And and like the Uncharted Empires uh, armies, that was an incredibly smart move. That brought in a huge number of players that were ex Warhammer players. And I think what they've been looking to do is try and identify how they can make those more mantic. You know what I mean? So, like, uh, I was talking to Ronnie about Ratkin, which is which is my kind of my 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 squeeze, my main squeeze at the minute. And what he'd struggled with is that you know it's Skaven. Everyone still calls them Skaven, even that's how Skaven yep. they are. And what they were struggling to do was identify something about them that would make them mantic. And I think they're getting to that place now with a lot of those armies. And so I think I think we'll see that increase as they start to release model ranges. You know, they've released a number of them into some of the League of Infamy range. There's models there that we've not seen before from, from Uncharted Empire races. So I think we'll start to see that more and more as third edition grows. So I, I'm excited for that. And I think that's the smarter way to go, right? Which is, like you said, let's bring them in and then get them on the Mantic train. And I think the better way to do that is instead of let's bring them in, get them on the Mantic train by them picking a whole new army, Instead, let's get them in. Let's take these armies. Let's let's f- fold them into our fluff. Let's make them unique. Let's make them quote mantic quote. 
and then it's like the whole kind of build it and they will come. If you make awesome models, people will buy awesome models. And I think that with basically for me, when I look at Mantic, I look at their pre-Vanguard, post-Vanguard. A lot of the stuff they've, they've done from Vanguard on is they're really coming into their own when you see a Mantic model and no longer is it, well, is that cool enough that I, I, I want to support Mantic? Is this cool enough that I could paint it? To, wow, this model's awesome and I would buy this model no matter if Mantic was selling it or Mantic wasn't selling it. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, cool. Um, Events-wise, we got a couple of things coming up. November 23rd is the Kings of War 3rd Edition Gaming Day. Is that the one that you were talking about that you Northern King guys are doing, or is that something else? Well, that's one we're doing. Okay. There's, there's, a, there's a new gaming club opened in Leeds, basically. Uh, Leodis Games, it's called. Um, so we're actually just going to run a little... It's more organised play than a... It's, it's not a tournament. It's not going on rankings. It's nothing like that. It is just an excuse to get people together to play Kings of War 3rd Edition for a day. So we're looking at doing three, four games, depending on how many, depending how slack we want to do it, on times, that sort of stuff. And we're all off to a pub uh, for lunch. There's a pub just around the corner that does some amazing food. So that's what we're doing. And we're not charging for it. We're literally only charging for table hire. Uh, it's pure cost to get in. So I think it's three quid to come, something like that. And I think this is a great idea to get people excited for third and not necessarily right off the bat, let's have a tournament. It's let's get together, let's play games, let's talk about like what lists have you guys been coming up with, what do you think is going to be good, what are you on the fence about, let's get into that workshop and start testing things and then have some food and hang out. So if you're thinking about wanting to do a third edition event in your own community, think a little bit outside of not necessarily needing to do a one day, but like a game day like this could also be like a really valuable and fun way to get everyone together excited about the new edition. So I think that's a good idea. Cool. And then uh, coming up on the 18th of January, we have the Wild Charge. Yeah, this is going to be our first proper version 3 tournament. So points are still to be confirmed and everything because we don't know how how the game's going to be mixed up on third edition but it's on the 18th of january over at element games and i'm i'm running that event so i won't be playing on that one so and this is that's the element games right where where they have a pretty good space right and i think clash of kings was clash of kings there this yeah. last year oh, it's, okay. it's clash of kings is there again this year as well so it's a i think everyone in the uk knows the venue to be honest with you. <laughs> it's a good venue for what it is no, I've heard. I've seen pictures and heard. We uh, kind of know of it all the way over here. So that's cool that you guys have found like a nice space for for bigger events. It's it's a good venue, I would say. Um, the venue inside is absolutely great. Um, I, I'm it's hoping in Stockport. <laughs> it's in it's in kind of a, a street of Stockport. It's it's not the. I, I can't wait for. Is it dodgy? It's it's as dodgy as they come. Um, I can't I can't wait for Tim Smith to come over. He's you know he's won a ticket uh, at Adepticon to come to the UK, and we're flying him to Stockport to play games with. <laughs> it's going to be hilarious. We should have took him anywhere else, like <laughs> anywhere else in the country. <laughs> well, I told him just to bring a speedo with the American flag on it and just walk around in just that, and that your nation would fall in love with him. Is what I told him. 
S- someone would honestly fall in love with him in Stockport, um, but he may he may end up being in a basement somewhere if that happens. <laughs> I wanted to wear like a full Stetson cowboy boots, you know, a tasseled vest. I went draped in American flag, you know, rub it in, you know, go full, go big or okay. go home, right? Yeah, well, that's how we do here, so you know, <laughs> that would be good. And you're 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 not a Clash of Kings this year, am I? Or you are at Clash of Kings, but you're not a masters or not at either of them adam is what's I'm, uh... I'm not i'm not at either um so it's so if the kids on time it's literally the weekend after kids born so i'm not i'm i'm going to be sleep deprived at home yeah. rather than playing toy soldiers <laughs> and actually it's quite interesting because clash of kings has become something of an open field because tom's not there Elliot's, Elliot's not there. Only one Northern King is there, and I've heard that he's murking for another team. He is. He's, he's playing with... Um... Moonrakers, right? Moonrakers, that's it. Yeah, I couldn't remember who it was then. They're getting him a special waistcoat and everything. Yeah, it's worth it for that. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, we've we've won the Clash of Kings team tournament both years in a row by a long way, so... You can retire champions. Yeah, retire champ. <laughs> undefeated. We are undefeated. We're just not we'll, there. Yeah. We'll, we'll just come back next year. <laughs> Someone else's turn. Someone else's turn. And then you can claim whoever wins didn't properly win because you weren't there. So everybody, everybody wins, right? Yeah. And I'll, 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 I'll rub this in since I can for now. The top three players in the UK are all Northern Kings players at the moment as well. Just to point that out. And I. I think that's good just to, you know, uh, just touch on that ever so briefly, which is that's one benefit of being in a, in a competitive club because I'm guessing that you guys talk lists, you, you do practice games against each other. It's that whole concept of like iron sharpens iron. You know, we have it over here in, on some clubs uh, that are notorious for being very skilled is that you, you do get that practice with like-minded players. The strange thing is when we actually game and we'll be doing this on the – uh, the gaming day we're doing in in November when when we all play against each other we're all like do you realise I can do this if you move there do you realise I can do this we point out all the mistakes to each other to to get people thinking a bit more and it's that, and that's good that's how you learn done. right yeah cool Steve you have any shout outs so yeah I I would like to um, repeat my my recent shout out which is to everybody in the Kings of War fanatics community to remain calm. Please remain calm. You know, every now and then something new comes out from version three, people are getting very excited and that's good. It shows excitement, but you know, let's uh, show some faith in the rules committee. Let's uh, bear it out. And whatever you think is wildly broken or wildly nerfed, take a breath. And you know, I saw a discussion uh, recently, which was, uh, this is 10 points too expensive. It's completely broken, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know, Let's just give it time because we haven't seen all the rules. We haven't seen all the units. Um, let's just uh, keep the excitement high and uh, temper our uh, enthusiasm in the correct way. And the other shout out I'd like to give is um, Clash of Kings is coming up and I had a great idea just this weekend. So I'm going to be running um, a Clash of Kings uh, 2019 sweepstake. Right? It is going to be an international sweepstake and anybody can enter. So I'm going to post it up on, on Fanatics quite soon and on the countercharge page, and anyone who wants in gets in, okay, until I've got 90 people. I may not get 90 people, but if I do that, it'd be cool. And then working from uh, the rankings to start with, 
I'm going to be randomly allocating every entrant one person from the rankings um, that is attending Clash of Kings, okay? And then that's like your fantasy football player. And uh, the people who come first, second and third in Clash of Kings will get a special, not at all expensive mystery prize. Um, and I'm thinking it's going to be like a bag of crisps of their choice and maybe like some countercharge stickers or a blaster model or something like that. And that will be mailed anywhere in the world to whoever wins. Um, so it's a bit like fantasy football when the World Cup comes around. So look out for that coming soon. Can I have it hand-delivered if I win? Uh, to Leeds? I live in Birmingham, yeah. man. Get a grip. Yeah, I, I work down Birmingham, where? Do you? Yeah. Oh, you have to drop in for a game then every now and then. You'll be starved of games with a baby. So when you're, when you're away, <laughs> inverted commas, working, you can drop in and we'll have, we'll have a, a, a quick match. You can borrow some elves. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, so I think what you said, Steve, is really true about, you know, the concept of cooler heads prevail, which is, you know, Britain recently did a really nice article uh, dealing with edition change on Dash 28, which is a great fan site. If you haven't already checked it out, any of the listeners, lots of great articles related to Kings of War is that we're really not going to know how third edition works until we have it in the whole and not in the abstract. You know, often, like you said, Steve, we get these little points values or little doodads or whatever, but out of context and with not having actual games played, there's no real reason to know how things are going to pan out. And, you know, the rules committee is filled with a lot of really great, competent, uh, competitive players who are really thinking about both making a competitive game and also the long-term health of the game system. So I think we're in good hands um, moving forward. So I think what you're saying is is good, which is uh, let's all be excited and take a breath. But the sky is not fall, <laughs> falling, you know. Uh, it should be a time of uh, excitement, you know, getting really jacked up for the new edition. Definitely. So Adam, any shout outs from you? Yeah, I'd just like to shout out for to Fanatics and everyone on there. So when something comes out, I think we should overreact to it and make a fuss for the new releases. <laughs> Yeah, let's yeah. let's let, let's bitch at the rules committee. Let's kick off and make a scene because it's entertaining for me when I'm at work. Thanks for just destroying everything that me and Jeremy have said, mate. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of like you know the myth about the Persian rug, right? Where one stitch is stitched incorrectly, so that that one incorrect stitch would draw your eye to the greater beauty of the whole. So maybe we need those threads every now and then to just be like make us appreciate the rest of the community so i don't know i mean that adam will generally provide that incorrect stitch in most discussions so that's that's cool you've you've got that role that is your role my friend i enjoy it matt i enjoy it the troll of trolls jeremy any any more shouts from you no but i will just say you know uh i'm excited to have steve on the show you know we've at, uh, added him to to get us some more uk coverage and um, i had been a fan of steve's uh youtube channel for a while, I love uh, your big flying ratkin demon thing. It's like straight out of Monty Python looking. I love that model. Um, I'd liked your channel for a long time. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'd often watch you while I was falling asleep in my bed. So I don't know how that makes you feel, but to <laughs> me, it would, it would soothe me as I would go to sleep on my 60-inch screen, have you up there playing games. So I just want to say again from uh, Rob and Mark and myself and our audience, we're really excited to have you on the show. 
And um, I think it's going to be really good for us to give a voice not only to players within United States, but more voices to players in the UK. We're going to have stuff coming up with uh, with Australia from um, all over the world. Uh, we're going to be trying to incorporate more Kings of War players into the Countercharge family. And Steve is going to be like a great tool for us to do that. So I just want to say thanks to you, my friend. And we're I know we're all excited to, to have you on the show. Oh, thanks, Matt. I really appreciate that. And uh, the answer to how I feel about that is incredibly aroused. So that's uh, great. Well, that's awesome. That's how I feel at night when I watch you on the show. So we're now uh, 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 two of like minds. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Adam, is there anywhere online that uh, listeners can follow the adventures of Adam Padley? Do you have a presence anywhere apart from just uh, being a troll on Fanatics? I'm not much of a troll, but I enjoy it. But yeah, um, Facebook is the best place to get me. I've got Twitter and everything, but I don't use them. So yeah, let me on Facebook. I'm, if anyone wants advice, I'll give a shout. I'm happy to... I'm always happy to have Kings of War chats with anyone about all. And that's fair to say. I've sent you lists in the past and said, what do you think of this? And kind of we talked them through a little bit. So, you know, you're, you're generally quite open to people coming to you for advice, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy list theory and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so I think that's going to do us for tonight. So, Adam, over to you. Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.